Welcome to the Vibrant Workplace podcast, proudly supported by NI Job Finder, the place where you'll find vibrant workplaces offering not just jobs, but quality careers. On this show, we explore how companies can build vibrant workplaces that attract, engage, and retain talented people who have a positive experience of work that benefits both employers and employees. I'm Craig Thompson, founder of Vibrant Talent. We help organizations become vibrant workplaces where people want to take jobs, make a positive impact with their work, and feel like it was worthwhile doing it. Today, I'm with Scott Alexander. Scott, a certified member of the Mediators Institute of Ireland, founded Mediation Plus after having worked in employment relations and employment law since 1986 and spending 16 and a half years at Legal Island, where he held the position of head of L&D. Scott, welcome to the show. Presumably, you have a little experience of restoring harmony within workplaces and a few experiences of mediation that you can share with us. Yeah, well, we'll get into some details later, Craig. But yeah, I've lots of experience of those uh, going back a number of years. There is, I suppose, an element of confidentiality that will have to be maintained. I won't be able to give you names. I have to protect the innocent there. But certainly a lot of the details that come through, I think, will resonate with your listeners. Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. So tell me this, Scott, what leads someone down the path of a career in mediation? And I know you do a lot more than that, but you've obviously set up Mediation Plus now. So what is it about mediation that really calls out to you? Well, you said that I've been involved in employment relations since 86, which is true, which means I've covered an awful lot of different scenarios where people have been in dispute, if you like. So I've dealt with collective disputes, individual disputes, tribunal claims, grievances, investigations, all of those kinds of things. The difference between all of those and mediation is that true mediation involves people who are working together and trying to put that relationship back together. So it's broken down for one reason or another, and we can discuss those reasons if you like, but it's broken down. And what mediation tries to do is reset it, whereas all the other types effectively, even if they're there to settle, even the alternative dispute resolution processes, they're really transactional. They're about getting rid of a claim or deciding a claim. So arbitration would decide one side wins, one side loses, or would award something in the middle. In mediation, the parties have to agree everything, and it's very much forward-focused. How can we put this behind us? What do we need to drive this forward? What do we need to do to make sure it doesn't happen again? If something goes wrong, what do we do to not get so deeply into a hole that we need to bring in a mediator? Yeah. So for me, it just inspired me. And all the other mediators I've dealt with, they all come more or less from the same point of view. You are getting people out of a dark, dark place and getting them into a position they can live with and grow in, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. I can imagine it's not the sort of thing which everybody would find comfortable. I can imagine particularly when you do your first mediation that it might be quite daunting. I know that from my experience, I feel like one of the biggest problems in businesses is people are getting better at doing the nice stuff, but they still shy away from the difficult stuff, the difficult conversations. And, you know, they don't challenge when there's conflict. They don't use it as an opportunity to bring the team back together. If they've got someone who's causing problems within the team, they shy away from it. They ignore it. And then that becomes a bigger problem. So I can imagine it takes a particular type of person to have the confidence and the skills 
to be able to go and try and do something about it and restore harmony within the team. We all put off, including me, the things we don't like doing. I, yeah. I hate doing admin. I have to force myself. Let's put them into my diary that this is admin day, <laughs> right? Otherwise, it won't get done. Right. But what we all discover, and every single listener here will discover, they know it's true, that once you do the thing that you really were scared about doing, it's never as scary as you thought it would be. It's always easier. And once you get that monkey off your shoulder, mm -hmm. then you're in a more relaxed position, you can make more informed decisions. So while you're right, you might need somebody who's willing to jump in there and say, yep, okay, somebody's in trouble, I'm going to help them. And that might be on some level more difficult than somebody's in trouble, I'll walk away and hope that somebody else helps them. Mm -hmm. The fact is that if you get in there, help somebody, it's a good thing. But for those individuals, for those individuals, what they're worried about is confronting their issue. It's a much bigger problem for them than it is for a mediator. I've no real skin in the game, you know. Uh, I've yeah. no interest in really in whether things settles or on what ground something settles. That's up to the individuals. Mm -hmm. What they're worried about is I'm going to have to get in a room, virtual or real, I'm going to have to get in a room with somebody that I think is bullying me or I'm going to get into a room with somebody who's accusing me of bullying them. And is it going to go wrong? And I'm terrified here. And how is this mediator chappy going to keep me protected? So they're worried about those. They're worried about going back to work. They're worried about those bigger issues. And if I can help them smooth that over and get them into a position where they can work together again, that is a fantastic thing. It's a real privilege. Yeah, yeah. And you've made an interesting point there that's got me thinking about virtual versus in-person for this kind of stuff. Obviously, everything's contextual, but based on the averages from the experiences that you've had, do you think it's something that works better if it's online or in the room together? I think it depends. If you look at the way the tribunals are being run, they do all their CMDs, case management discussions, all those kind of pre-hearing things online, or most of them anyway, because... That is practical, simple. People are used to that kind of meeting. Okay. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the joint hearing parts, yeah. then they'll generally bring people in because if something happens, it's quicker. You've got people around you. You can see the whole body language. And similarly with mediations or any kind of alternative dispute resolution, it doesn't have to be that. Mm -hmm. Then sometimes what you've got is a situation where it's better if the parties are in the room, particularly if they have to work physically together. Now, mm -hmm. Wednesday, I think it was, I was asked to do a mediation, and one of the parties is in England, one of them's in Scotland. They seldom see each other. Sometimes they would have to come together for management meetings. There's two managers, they're not getting on. I would say that could be done perfectly well online because the relationship is one which is 90% online. But where people are working together, doing maybe doing a physical service rather than uh, some kind of virtual service, it might be better to get them into line, to get that understanding. I've done a lot of mediations in educational establishments. You know, that's a physical service they're providing. They have to meet each other in the corridor. In that situation, like if you can't meet in a room mm -hmm. together with a mediator helping you out, you're really going to struggle building that relationship when you get back to work. Yeah. So probably getting an in-person. 
is better there. But the pre-mediations, when I'm having one-to-one discussions, they're much easier done online. They're cheaper for the client who brings me in to do them because I don't have any travel time involved. It's mm. just the contact time online. So yeah, the horses for courses, Craig. I'm wondering, because I can see, you know, pros and cons there in various different ways, particularly, as you mentioned, if people work together in person, but you do the mediation online, well, what's it going to be like when they're back together, seeing each other and working together in person? So I can see pros to that. I'm also wondering, from a process point of view, does mediation in terms of the actual, you know, mediation, not the pre-mediation, you know, with individual participants, but the actual mediation, does it happen in one go or multiple kind of sittings? Because I'm sort of in my head thinking, if there's a really heated situation, as potentially, you know, quite emotional, might there be a benefit to starting that kind of process online? Because maybe, and different people, different preferences, but maybe some people might feel more comfortable in a really difficult situation starting online, but then through the process over time, bringing them together? Or does it never, is that not really how the process works? No, I would say it never happens. You know, if you look at some situations where you might have a company, if you go back to the LRA, okay, they deal with collective disputes. And I used to work at the Labor Relations Agency, which is the same. If you've got listeners south of the border, then it's the same as the WRC. And if you've got people over in Britain, then it's the same as ACAS. So you might have a company in Canada or the US or Australia. They're not going to come over for the initial meetings between them and the unions and the labor relations or whatever. They're going to do those online. Online gives you that option. And certainly you can reach agreements online, very good agreements online, start building up trust. What then happens, though, is you have a mediation, you have an agreement. It's up to the parties to implement that in the spirit that it's meant. Mm-hmm. once they leave the mediation room, if you like, once they've done that piece. And that's why it's maybe important to have a check-in or look at whether you need to have another little go at mediation just to make sure things are going in the right direction or whether you need the HR person to move in and just check in again. So you could certainly use it. It gives you another option. Certainly if people are really, really scared about getting in a room together, then getting them to a position where they're online and there's yeah. no danger of physical violence is one option that you have. But most of the time, I find the most difficult part of mediation is actually getting people to come in. So right, okay. <laughs> it's because they chat to me, and I'm lovely. I reassure them, and I tell them, oh, look, I've never had anyone punch anyone yet. <laughs> is that true, Scott? Is that true? So it's, it's, it's absolutely true. I've never seen anyone throw a punch in a mediation, <laughs> but I have seen people crying. Yeah. I have seen it very emotional. It's up to the mediator who runs the process to decide, do you jump in and stop the person and make sure that they're okay? Or do you let it run so that it has an impact on the other person? This is how much you've hurt me, is what they're saying, you know? And that, I suppose there's a skill in those types of things. And you can have that online and you can have that in person. But it's a scary thing. And what happens is I'll chat to an individual, one of the parties, and say, right, okay, you're ready to come along. And they go, that's brilliant. And then over the weekend, they chat to their significant other who says, you don't have to go through that type of thing because they haven't been involved in the conversation. So sometimes it's useful getting those supporting people in at the early stage just Mm -hmm. to explain, look, I'm going to keep you safe. I'm going to give you the psychologically safe space to come in, to have those conversations 
which will enable you to get over these traumas, those difficulties mm-hmm. that you're going through, those fears yeah. that you have, and you'll be okay. Nobody's going to throw a punch because I'm there to make sure it doesn't get that heated. You're the bouncer. <laughs> i punch him. Yeah, yeah I'll, 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 I'll have to jump in there. So, Like I say, I've never seen it. People behave respectfully because the expectations are managed by the mediator before mm-hmm. they come together. You know, I'll spend two hours, sometimes more, with each individual yeah. working out what's safe to say, safe to mm-hmm. ask right. before I'll bring them together. So actually the pre-work is as important as what happens during the mediation itself? It's absolutely vital because if I were to not know some of the questions, mm. you know, obviously there's some things that happen in the moment and you listen and you go, tell me more about that. And you don't necessarily know what they're going to say when they get together. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to work out big chunks of what's safe and areas mm. that are safe. I'm not a counsellor. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. What I don't want to do is trigger things yeah. and make things worse. I do no harm is mm-hmm. my watchword, you know. So I've got to make sure that it's okay and that people are, are fine and comfortable and people that see no hope have got hope this mediation might work. And you don't do that by putting them in a situation where they're vulnerable and they have big fears. You've got to manage that process first. And that means sometimes being quite strong with individuals Mm-hmm. When I'm chatting to them, if they come across as aggressive, sometimes that's being a bit more empathetic or softer to bring mm-hmm. somebody with you when they're in that vulnerable space. But the bottom yeah. line is you don't bring them together until I'm sure it won't kick off to the extent that people are worried that they're going to get hurt. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, you know, you've talked about getting hurt. You've talked about this kind of fears and the doubts people might have and, you know, the emotions and how people might cry, etc. I think we get really embarrassed about things like tears and we don't want to cry. We don't want to cry in front of other people, but sometimes those tears need to happen to have that release in order to be able to express yourself and and move forward. So I can imagine sometimes actually the tears might be a helpful thing. Yeah. Sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes not. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It depends whether there's a crocodile in the room or not, (laughs) but yeah, people are reliving in mediation, it tends to be people are arguing they've been bullied or they have been harassed or they're being picked on in some way or the relationship's broken down. And it's not a million miles away from grief theory, okay? They've been in a situation where they've joined an employer, an ideal workplace mediation. You can have family mediation, community mm-hmm. mediation, you can have commercial, all kinds, right? Ideal workplace. So you've got somebody who's joined a job or taken a job they're giddy. They've got this new job. They've looked forward to this new job. They've told everybody, this is fantastic. They've gone into the workplace. They've maybe been welcomed. They've loved it. They've bonded with this workplace. They've really enjoyed it. And then something's gone wrong and they're in a bad place because they think they're being picked on. They've lost their confidence, whatever it is. The other side is I'm not trying to make you lose your confidence. I'm trying to manage you. I need you to hit targets. In both those cases, you've got a situation where both parties are suffering loss. Mm -hmm. The employee or the direct report perhaps might be going, I used to have this great relationship. I used to love going to work. I've lost that now. And the manager's going, I used to be able to manage this. I felt great. The people used to love me. Now I've got people that don't like me. I've maybe got 
people behind me forcing me to focus on outputs or productivity. Mm-hmm. These people don't understand. They're talking about the same thing, but from two different sides. And they're yeah. both in a position where they used to be positive and they've mm-hmm. lost that positivity. And that's not a million miles from dealing with grief. Uh-huh. You know, people have to get that emotion out and they have to explain. And sometimes when they're telling that story, they'll go back to when they had this brilliant relationship with the person. It could be two peers have fallen out. It could be a manager who's been promoted and no longer as buddies with somebody. Those types of things, you can see where they come from. And what they're really grieving is the loss of friendship or the loss of mm. trust or yeah. the loss of something. But it's all about loss. People are there and they're trying to get back to a position where they no longer feel terrible. And sometimes what happens is they get angry with themselves, so anger comes out, or they mm-hmm. get sad at that loss. So yeah. tears come out or sadness comes out. It's not always like that. Most of the time it's quite positive. <laughs> you go through those storytelling parts and you're saying, well, how do I get it better? How do I make yeah. these things improve? And you focus and say, well, look, what I need is X, Y, Z. So can somebody provide that? Can the other person mm-hmm. provide it? It normally ends positively. Mm-hmm. It's just it's a few bumps along the road. That's where you get those tears of joy, though, Scott. I can imagine you sat between the two parties, so inspired by the conversation that's happened that you've got those tears of joy at the end of each session. <laughs> it's sometimes hard. I remember watching this chap walk years ago, you go back, not long after he qualified. I, he was a man mountain of a guy. And the tears were rolling down his cheeks. He'd been threatened, he said, with a gun. Oh, wow. By a bullet. The tears were rolling down his cheeks. And he was either the best actor I've seen. Yeah. Or he was telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And he was reliving this employee putting a gun to his head. Now, I don't know whether it was true or not. Yeah. Keepers, it had an impact. And it had an impact on the other side. And that's the purpose, you know. Of these, you know, to some extent, if you want to be cynical, mediation allows you, if you do have a claim before a tribunal, mediation allows you to have a dry run. Right. To see whether the person will make a good witness or not. Yeah, yeah. If you're an employer or going the other way to see whether the manager will come across well. There's elements of that, but that shouldn't be why it's used. It should be, we've got two people who are in a bad way. They're not getting on as well as they ought to. It's impacting others, and that's an important bit I hope you'll come back to. It's impacting others in the organization. So we want to put it back together and get it on a decent footing, one that you would hope a new start and a new manager would take it, which is positively. They would try and build on this relationship and make it work, and that's what we're trying to do. So when you get an extreme situation like that, Scott, Mm -hmm. an employee possibly threatening to shoot another employee with a gun and as you say you know you've either got a great actor or you don't know if you can trust the person and whether they're telling the truth obviously you know the person that they suggest made that threat is going to deny that so what do you do how do you restore harmony in a situation like that where one person's denying it and the other person's obviously in tears in that case you don't because the other person was dead okay right yeah yeah, that's a strange one. I can't honestly go into any more detail than that. Yeah. But the, yeah. the alleged assailant wasn't there. 
So that was a slightly different case. But you do get extreme ones where somebody mm-hmm. says, you know, you've been picking on me, you've been giving me work, you've been ignoring me in the corridor, yeah. you've been calling me names, you were behind rumours. You know, you do get things, and they're pretty extreme. Yeah. And an employer could go down the route of an investigation and spend for I don't do investigations. I know many people that do, and... Right. I'd recommend a few if you want, but I don't like them because they're negative and they put people into cliques. They put them into a situation where as soon as you raise a grievance or down that disciplinary route, the person wants to win. They want to mm-hmm. defend themselves, if you like. Mm-hmm. And those are difficult. So you could go down, if there's a bullying or harassment allegation, you could go down a situation for an employer and say, right, we're going to fully investigate this. Mm-hmm. Or you could come to mediation. And in mediation, there's no investigation. No, okay. Effectively, you bring the people together and say, let's hear your stories. You talk through, well, what do you mean when this happened? And the other person will say, well, what I was actually getting at was this. You need some kind of movement. So if the people are wanting to say, yeah, look, I did act badly there. I shouldn't have done that. And I can see why he thinks it's bullying. I didn't mean it. But that's the kind of thing you can get in mediation. If you go down the grievance route and the alleged bully is investigated, what you will get is denial after denial. Right, And the employer will find he said, she said situations. It will be very difficult to unravel and very difficult to prove. Yeah, Mediation provides this safe, confidential space where people can be honest with one another, knowing that that information, what's said there, can't be used externally. In that situation, because you've got that honesty, the person can say, yeah, I did ignore you in the corridor, but that's because you did this or that's because something happened, or that's because it won't be made up, or it shouldn't be made up, because they're in that safe space where it's confidential. So it's really, again, it goes horses for courses. People listening here, I presume most of your listeners are employers, mm-hmm. yeah. or they're in the HR field or whatever. They'll know that they've been through investigations that have taken months, where as soon as somebody is charged with bullying or there's an investigation, they go on the sick. You can't get them in. And they're yeah. off for months and it takes forever. And meanwhile, the other person's not there or you separate them apart. And you've got two people not happy with the way that something's been dealt with by the manager and you pay a fortune to an external investigator to come and do a report. And then it leads to a disciplinary situation. And then one of the people has moved out. So you've got that or you've got a day or two's mediation. Yeah, okay. And I would say, generally speaking, not in the extreme cases, not in the extreme case. And you go back to that when I was chatting about, that was fairly extreme. Had that person still been there, then you wouldn't have had a situation where there would have been a mediation. It just wouldn't have happened yeah. that okay. no. It was almost like the employer was saying, look, can we do something here? What can we do to help this person who clearly is in a difficult place? But for most cases, it's not that extreme, but it is about you've picked on me, you've bullied me. I don't like you anymore. And it tends to mm-hmm. be personality clash or it was a bad communication. They wrote something in an email that's been taken one way but was meant another. You know what I mean? And those mm-hmm. things are meat and drink to mediators and, and workplace disputes, but they're very, very important to the parties and they're also unique to those parties. Yeah, you know, yeah. the fact that I've dealt with loads of cases involving bullying and harassment, the individuals that come in, that's their one case. That's their one thing that they've been living through for weeks, sometimes months, sometimes years. 
much better if you get it early, much easier to settle if you get it early, you know. But they've been living with that for ages. And the person who's trying to manage a situation might be of living with the fear that they might lose their job if they're found guilty of bullying or harassment. And they've been yeah. living with that for ages. So for them, an existential issue. For me, it's, like I say, I mentioned the privilege. It's a job I like doing because to see people transform that relationship from a, a really bad one or a misconstrued one into yeah. we've got an understanding here because we're the only two people apart from Scott who were in that room and who heard what each other said and have now got an understanding of what's happening. I dealt with a case a while back and it was two women and one of the women, it was an unbelievable number, it was something like 15 or 16 miscarriages. Oh, wow. And she'd never told anyone. This came out at the mediation, and, you know, that's a, that's a powerful mm-hmm. piece of information that wasn't known to the other person that she was in dispute with. And you can see now that just letting that out, this is the reason why I have difficulty, mm-hmm. and that coming out, you can just see where that would be transformative. Yeah, 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 and absolutely. And even the way that, you know, we manage people and the way that we treat people, Obviously, there are things that are too personal that people don't want to share with us. And why should they? But at the same time, we might need to adapt the way that we handle those people for a little bit because of what's going on. But if we don't know about it, we're not going to. And, you know, the emotional and sometimes physical trauma of one miscarriage, never mind. Did you say 15? Yeah, it was something like that. I can't, I can't remember. It was a long time ago now. But, yeah, it was It was certainly well into double figures. and. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a phenomenal situation for someone to go through. And to not feel that you're able to discuss it is maybe, it's a reflection, obviously, on the relationship that somebody has. But it also, as you alluded to, makes it difficult for the other person to understand when they don't have the knowledge. Yeah, so So I'm a mediator. I can't tell anyone what to say. I'm a mediator. I can't tell anyone or recommend anything. That's not my job. So I can't say, here, tell the other one about your miscarriages and all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's not my job. But the bottom line is, if the person doesn't mention things that are there, then you will not get the reaction that you would get had you explored it. And it's similarly Mm. with bringing your whole self to work. And you deal in this good employment area and you get lots of things about bring your whole self to work. Well, Nobody really does. But the more you bring, once you get that away, yeah. you're not worried about being exposed. Exactly. You're not yeah. worried about people finding out if you're gay or if you've got some kind of foible or if you know you're, there's people that might be on the spectrum or you've got something else that you're concerned about. Once that's out in the open, it's no longer the big problem that you had or it shouldn't be. And similarly, if you've been holding things back in mediation, then... Don't be surprised if it doesn't have an impact because you haven't told somebody. And don't be surprised if it does have an impact if you do tell somebody. You know, so yeah, yeah. it's up to the individuals what they want to tell them. I mean, it's not a mediator's job to push somebody down yeah. a line that they're uncomfortable with. Mm-hmm. It is important though, isn't it? Because I hear from lots of people still today that have, let's say, mental health challenges and things like that. And they're still afraid to talk about it and work. You know, I've had people on numerous occasions say to me that they work in organizations where if they mention a mental health condition, 
They know there will be a black mark against their name and they will never be considered for promotions in future. So you can understand why people keep things that are affecting them to themselves. But what damage does that do? It does a lot of damage to them as individuals. It also does a lot of damage to the organization. Somebody's got a chemical imbalance in their head. I mean, how is that different than somebody having a broken leg? Um, from a point of view, it's an illness. It's got to be dealt with. It's a health concern that's got to be dealt with. Like, some things are embarrassing. I'm sure I've got some stuff. I'm not going to tell you my whole medical history. <laughs> I'm sure there are things that I don't want everyone to know, but I genuinely am quite an open person, you know. Yeah. I haven't told anyone this, but I actually come from Scotland. <laughs> Never would have guessed, Scott. <laughs> I'm sometimes embarrassed to, to let people know I come from Edinburgh because there's a lot of Glaswegians that might feel inadequate as a result. And it's those types of things that you've got to be wary of, I suppose. Mm-hmm. That, look, people don't bring their whole selves to work, but if they did bring more of themselves to work, I think they genuinely find that they'll be more accepted. Mm-hmm. You can't force people to do that. And you can't yeah. really blame an employer for not protective action or remedial yeah. action when they didn't know there was anything wrong in exactly. the first place. Yeah. So dealing with something early is a good thing, but then that requires an employer that has that kind of culture that says, look, if you have any issues, come to me. And ultimately it comes down to a manager having a great relationship with an employee yeah. and saying, look, Trust me, I'll mm-hmm. protect you. If you've got an issue, it's better that you come to me and you say these things because mm-hmm. I'm here to help. And if yeah. you've got a manager that genuinely wants to help people that work for him or her, mm-hmm. then I think you'll end up in a situation where people will be more open with one another. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when it comes to you know who can do mediation, is it ever done internally? Should it ever be done internally internally? even in a less formal way, or is it always the case that, you know, you should bring someone in externally? You do get internal mediators. You get organizations that would train people to be mediators, but they have to be big organizations because a mediator has to be neutral. Yeah. It has to be seen to be neutral. So if I work in your department, Craig, and you've mm. got somebody else working alongside you, and I know both of you, there's a chance that one of you is going to say, but you know Scott better than I do. Right? Yeah. or you've been involved or you used to work with that person or you used to work to that person or for that person mm-hmm. or whatever. You need that independence. I did a situation rather a few years back where I trained two different charities, trained up mediators along, alongside right. mediators from Dublin. Charity A would mediate in Charity B and right. vice versa. So that independence mm-hmm. was there at half their cost, but they always they had those mediators there. Generally speaking, if you want it really clean, it's a bit like investigations. If you want to make sure it's clean, you bring in an external one that doesn't know any of the parties. Now, that's different. So if you take an organization, well, let's take Legal Island. If Legal Island asked me to mediate, I couldn't do it because I know nearly everybody there. Yeah, yeah. But if it were some other big organization, the BBC, I I won't mediate the BBC, okay? (laughs) But if it were the BBC, I don't know many people at the BBC, you know, a few I don't know many people at the BBC, so they could bring me in yeah. with two people that I've never met before, and yeah. therefore it would be independent. Now, the fact that I know some people from the BBC wouldn't be enough to say, hold on, that's tainted. Mm-hmm. And indeed, I'll, my clients are mainly human resource professionals. The fact that I know the HR person that's going to pay me yeah. doesn't invalidate me being a mediator. I don't know the people that I'm mediating with, the individual parties. Yeah, I know yeah. the client 
and that's different. And keeping that that if you like wall there to say, you know, on that side of the wall, we've got the client. They engage me. They don't find out about what happens in the room. I don't tell them what happens in the room. It's all confidential. They pay me whether it works or not. And that's an important factor too. Otherwise, I'd be tempted to push parties down a certain route yeah, uh, yeah. to make sure I got the money. <laughs> that's a good point. There's no guarantee of success. And I might know that person very well or reasonably mm. well. Okay. But I don't know the individuals involved. And if I do know the individuals involved, I wouldn't mediate. I recommend schools. Yeah, I mean, I can see how no matter how big the organization, if you had an internal mediator, people, you know, the employee might think that the mediator's not truly there to represent them and be neutral. Be neutral is a better expression there than represent them, (laughs) but not there to be truly impartial. And maybe they're thinking the mediator is going to be trying to protect the company's interests at all costs here, and they don't feel like they are impartial. So when you talked about then you've trained mediators who you know were from these charities, even if it was the training of external mediators, people to come in from the outside and do it, what are the skills? What are the qualities? You know, How do you go about training someone to be able to do that? Because one of the things that I think would be very difficult is I can imagine if you role play this kind of stuff in training and you had these mock scenarios and stuff, it's never going to be just like it is in a real mediation. So how do you get someone to the point where they've never done a mediation to the point where they're comfortable doing it and they feel like they can do it well? Well, There is that big leap, isn't there? (laughs) You pass your driving test and the first time you go out on your own, it's going to be difficult. There's a good chance that you might have a little smash once in a while, a little incident. Look, I did eight days death by role play. And when I was on the assessment day, I was assessed by peers. I was filmed. It was sent off. I was assessed by the trainer. It was assessed by neutral adjudicators, if you like, who went there and assessed the performance that was filmed. And I had, in those eight days, done dozens, I mean, dozens of different role plays, as well as looking at theory and other stuff, and had loads of homework. So, yeah, you're doing six day to eight day hours training. Mm-hmm. Almost all based on real situations and role playing. And then you go out. So, what I've been doing of late is that if I'm asked to do a mediation, I ask the client and the parties, can I bring along a qualified mediator to observe? Very good, yeah. Now, most of them say no, right? <laughs> okay, okay. Right? Most of them say no because they don't want anybody there. They want to keep it right. as confidential as possible. In fact, if there is any other party in the room, they've got to sign up to all the confidentiality agreements and everything uh-huh. else as well. But anyway, I ask along because I think there's a the number of reasons. One is it gets them experience of real life stuff, mm-hmm. what actually happens. And it's not a role play. They don't see anything. They'll sit in the room and observe. But what they also do is they supervise me. Yeah. And so I get genuine, honest feedback from people who have been taught how to mediate have done lots of mock mediations, maybe in a mediation sharing and learning or reflective practice group, may have done more mock mediations and role plays there. So I'm getting a professional feedback, you know, and sometimes I'll take breaks. Your mediation isn't just you sit in one room and you never leave. It's you sit in one room, you tell your stories, and then you have a break. And in those breaks, I might get feedback on some of the things I've said or some of the exercises I've done. It's not just about telling stories. You know, sometimes you use different techniques to open up the synapses, get people thinking in certain ways. 
and oh that worked well or that was a good turn of phrase and did you see the impact that that had on the person when that question was asked or when they did yeah. this you know so without them taking an active part in the mediation they're there they're gaining the, the skills but yeah the first time you do it on your own is scary and then you have other organizations like the labor relations agency they tend to do things in pairs so they'll have joint mediation where right. there'll be two mediators and that you know in the private sector that costs more obviously because you're paying for two mediators as opposed to an observer that doesn't cost you anything you've got those mediators but it might sometimes go a bit quicker because those individual meetings can be done separately or when you split the mediation up then one person go and see one party and the other mediator can go and see party b you know so there's benefits there but generally i do most of my mediations on my own yeah okay and ask if somebody can come along and observe so that they can build up their skills and build up their yeah 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 Absolutely. Because I can imagine, you know, when it comes to the training, and that sounds like a good process, having the assessments and the observers and everything. But I can imagine that in role plays, you know, do people kick and scream and shout and react in the way that they would in a real situation? Do they curse, for example, at each other, which you know probably happens in some mediations? Yeah, it depends on the instructions from the trainer. Right. Generally speaking, you've got a role play. So I'm a member of the Mediators Institute of Ireland. They have a little mm-hmm. book, dozens of little role plays in them. Right. So what you'll get is sometimes you'll get a role play, but the role player one will be given a sheet saying, this is what you should do, and this is some background information you have to hold mm-hmm. on to. And role player A will get a different part. And the mediator mm-hmm. will be given a brief, which is different again, so that it's a surprise. So you get this right. realistic thing yeah. where something's going to cause a break yeah, And it tests your ability to deal with those moments when there's a breakdown or there's emotion or where people start swearing or start interrupting. How do you deal with that? Well, you have to deal with it in real life. Yeah, So exactly. the role plays are all built around trying to make things realistic as it can be, if you like. Yeah, And a lot of that, again, it comes down to experience. Mm-hmm. How do you come across as an individual? So I speak quite quickly, okay? Okay. I've known mediators who talk like this. They take people through each syllable practically. (laughs) And I've known ones who come through with a really soft voice. And they they almost sing when they speak. Yeah. In different situations, those are fine. And it's got to be genuine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could no more speak at a slow pace than I could walk <laughs> at a slow pace. It's just, I find it so uncomfortable. I've got to be uh-huh. me. Yeah, yeah, it's authentic. And mediators have to find the style that suits them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not that one's better than the other. It's yeah. just that that's their style. And if it's not authentic, if it comes across as inauthentic, the parties are going to know. Yeah. So you can't go down that route, you know. It's got to be something that, you feel comfortable with because if you don't feel comfortable as a mediator the parties aren't going to feel comfortable in your presence because you're in charge of the process you're the one that's told them this is going to be a lovely safe experience you're going to reach some kind of agreement probably because Mm -hmm. most mediations are successful the worst thing that's going to happen is you'll be better informed about what's happening you know so if you go to that situation there supposing we have a fight okay and a mediator comes in we have an argument But I don't know what you're really thinking, and you don't know what I'm really thinking. But in that mediation, we then find out what each other's 
really concerning us. Yeah. You know full well what's going to rock my boat or really annoy me. And I know the same with you. And I can't unknow that even if it's confidential. So if I do needle you again by doing the same thing that I know will needle you, I'm doing it from a position of knowledge. So don't do it. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. not going to do it because you're going to turn around regardless of whether there's a agreement saying, you know you can't do that. Because you yeah. find that in mediation, you know what you're doing, you know the impact that has on me, right? So people don't do it. So even if there isn't an agreement, there's a level of knowledge which has come to them, a level of understanding. People go, well, I better not do that because they're just going to shout at me again, or they're going to take another grievance, or they're going to do this, or they're going to do that. So people tend to avoid the worst aspects of their behavior yeah. once they've been through a mediation. But, you know, hopefully you'll reach agreement, but even if they don't, you're generally better off. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, I know we only have a couple of minutes left, Scott. There's a couple of things that I want to ask you about. One is, are there sort of patterns or trends of issues that you find commonly reach you, get to that point where they need mediation? And I guess what can companies do to stop themselves from getting to that point where it's a requirement? Yeah, you shouldn't go to a mediator unless you need one. If you can deal with it yourself, <laughs> deal with it yourself. No, there's no point paying out. You should deal with problems at the lowest common denominator. Well, yeah, there's a number of things that come through. They're nearly all miscommunication or misunderstanding. Right. They're nearly all about personality or uh, clashes or yeah. they're in that area of grievance, bullying, whatever, right? It's where people don't get on. Yeah. And therefore, yeah. what you need is you need a system where if people don't get on, they can raise issues between themselves yeah, and they can have some kind of buddy system or close management one-to-one systems where they regularly meet. If people don't get on, it's generally because they don't spend enough time together. Right. Okay. So if you have a one-to-one with your reports, your direct reports, and you genuinely ask them about themselves as well as the work-related stuff, 99 times out of 100, you won't have any problems with that person. There won't be any disputes. There won't be any difficulties because they'll be opening up about the names of their kids. So I often ask people, who are the most important people in your life? Most parents will say, my children. Mm -hmm. Well, if a manager doesn't even know the names of the most important things in their employees' lives, they're not really doing their job. And it's in their interest to say, how's Johnny, how's Jeannie, how's whoever, and genuinely be interested because mm-hmm. the parents will be genuinely interested in that. I not only come from Edinburgh, I support a team called Hart Melodian. Now, if you know that and ask me about Hearts, you know yeah, you're going yeah, to get yeah. a good response. Even if I'm in despair, which I normally am, <laughs> you, know, supporter, right? you know that you're going to get a good response. So yeah. it's in your interest, if you're my manager, to at least have a passing interest in yeah. Hearts. Similarly, if you're my manager and I know that you love Gaelic football or you love Uh Dexy's Mind Night Runners or whatever, it's in my interest to ask you about the things that you get excited about. So having those bonds, have regular conversations, have an understanding and nip something in the bud. Yeah. And you'll be in a much better place. And you won't need a mediator normally. Okay. You know, you won't normally need me. Just work on those things. Work on managers being managers and not doers. Empower your staff, be a good employer, and you won't have many problems. Final question, okay? So obviously the podcast, the Vibrant Workplace podcast, it's all about creating a better working world. What role does mediation have in creating that better working world and shaping positive workplace cultures? 
disputes will arise in every organisation. People will come from different places. You can look at all the debates around trans in the workplace at the moment and people having different views and the J.K. Rowling disputes and all those types of things. Society's mores, their standards change over time. You get Belbin types, you get personality types, you get all those types of stuff, you know, all the psychological tests. You know and all your listeners know that people are different. And where you get difference, you'll get a clash at some point. It's going to happen. It's going to get that type of thing. Mediation allows all organisations, and more importantly, those individual employees and employers, to work on those issues when they arise and to provide that safety net, that stop valve, that whatever it is, right, that you want. And that's why it plays a good role. But what it also does, mediation, is it's about putting things back together. It's saying, we value both of you so much. We don't want to lose either of you. We don't want to go down that formal route. We don't want a situation where it's so bad that we have to take remedial action, which is sacking at least one of you because Mm. it's impacting on everybody else. We value that much. If you can put your relationship back together, we'd love both of you to work here, both of you to go forward. So from that point of view, you're saying to all your employees, look, we know you might have a clash once in a while. That happens because people are passionate. They're going to clash. It's okay. If it does happen, we'll figure out a way that you can work it out. So that's how mediation helps good workplaces. Okay. Well, look, thank you very much for coming on the show, Scott. That was really interesting and hopefully informative for people. If they want help, you know, obviously this is what you're doing now through Mediation Plus. How can they get in touch with you? Probably by going to LinkedIn because it's the only social media I do. Okay. And I haven't, this is a year, this is my anniversary, the first year is up, and I haven't even written the content from a website. So I wouldn't bother going to the website, but they'll get me on email or they'll get me on LinkedIn. My email is scott at alexandermediation.net and my phone number is on the LinkedIn, I think, as well. LinkedIn, so you can get yeah. me through LinkedIn. Okay. All right. Thank you again, Scott, very much. Thank you to our listeners as well. I hope you find this episode interesting. If you have any suggestions or ideas for the show, maybe topics you'd like us to explore or people you think we should interview, even if you want to put yourself forward, drop me an email using craig at vibranttalent.co.uk. If your company is struggling with talent attraction, engagement and retention or retention, I'm also more than happy to have a chat. So you can drop me an email or check out the website, vibranttalent.co.uk. If you have enjoyed the show, I would really appreciate if you give it a five-star rating, a follow and a share on social media so we can get these stories out to as wide an audience as possible, help people learn from them and ultimately make a better working world together. That's it for this episode. See you next time. Mm -hmm.